I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today's reading is 2 Samuel chapter 24, and the parallel passages in 1 Chronicles chapters 21 and 22, and then we'll read Psalm 30. In 2 Samuel 24 verses 1 through 17 and 1 Chronicles chapter 21 verses 1 through 17, we read about the real story regarding that evil census and what the evil of that census really was. 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 1. And again the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. For the king said to Joab the captain of the host which was with him, Go now through all the tribes of Israel, from Dan even to Beersheba, and number ye the people, that I may know the number of the people." And Joab said unto the king, Now the Lord thy God add unto the people, how many soever they be, an hundredfold, and that the eyes of my lord the king may see it. But why doth my lord the king delight in this thing? Notwithstanding, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the host. And Joab and the captains of the host went out from the presence of the king to number the people of Israel. And they passed over Jordan and pitched in a roar on the right side of the city that lieth in the midst of the river of Gad and toward Jazer. Then they came to the land of Gilead and to the land of Tatim Hadshai, and they came to Dan Jan and about to Zion, and came to the stronghold of Tyre and to all the cities of the Hivites and of the Canaanites, and they went out to the south of Judah, even to Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of nine months and twenty days. And Joab gave up the sum of the number of the people unto the king. And there were in Israel eight hundred thousand valiant men that drew the sword. And the men of Judah were five hundred thousand men. And David's heart smote him after that he had numbered the people. And David said unto the Lord, I have sinned greatly in that I have done. And now I beseech thee, O Lord... Take away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. For when David was up in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say unto David, Thus saith the Lord, I offer thee three things, choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and told him, and said unto him, Shall seven years of famine come unto thee in thy land, or... Wilt thou flee three months before thine enemies while they pursue thee, or that there be three days pestilence in thy land? Now advise, and see what answer I shall return to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let us fall now into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great, and let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a pestilence upon Israel from the morning even to the time appointed, and there died of the people from Dan even to Beersheba seventy thousand men. And when the angel stretched out his hand upon Jerusalem to destroy it, the Lord repented him of the evil and said to the angel that destroyed the people, It is enough. 
Stay now thine hand, and the angel of the Lord was by the threshing place of Aronah the Jebusite. And David spake unto the Lord when he saw the angel that smote the people, and said, Lo, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. But these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and against my father's house. Now let's go over to the same account in First Chronicles chapter 21, beginning with verse 1. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, Go number Israel from Beersheba even to Dan, and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. And Joab answered, The Lord make his people an hundred times so many more as they be. But my lord the king, are they not all my lord's servants? Why then doth my lord require this thing? Why will he be a cause of trespass to Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Wherefore, Joab departed and went throughout all Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people unto David, and all they of Israel were a thousand thousand and an hundred thousand men that drew sword, and Judah was four hundred threescore and ten thousand men that drew sword. But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. And God was displeased with this thing, therefore he smote Israel. And David said unto God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I beseech thee, do away the iniquity of thy servant, for I have done very foolishly. And the Lord spake unto Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and tell David, saying, Thus saith the Lord. I offer thee three things. Choose thee one of them, that I may do it unto thee. So Gad came to David and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Choose thee, either three years' famine or three months to be destroyed before thy foes while the sword of thine enemies overtaketh thee, or else three days the sword of the Lord, even the pestilence in the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the coast of Israel." Now therefore advise thyself what word I shall bring again to him that sent me. And David said unto Gad, I am in a great strait. Let me fall now into the hand of the Lord, for very great are his mercies, but let me not fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent pestilence upon Israel, and there fell of Israel seventy thousand men. And God sent an angel into Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord beheld, and he repented him of the evil, and said to the angel that destroyed, It is enough, stay now thine hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornon, the Jebusite. And David lifted up his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord stand between the earth and the heaven, having a drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. Then David and the elders of Israel, who were clothed in sackcloth, fell upon their faces. And David said unto God, Is it not I that commanded the people to be numbered? Even I it is that have sinned and done evil indeed. But as for these sheep, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, O Lord my God, be on me and on my father's house, but not on thy people, that they should be plagued. So here we are. David's experiencing success, a lot of success as king of Israel. And he decides that he'd like to have an accurate census of Israel proper from Dan, the northern border, to Beersheba, the southern border. 
Now, that didn't include those non-Jews in occupied territories, just those Jewish men who were qualified to serve in David's army. So what's the problem? I mean, what can possibly be the harm in getting a count? Well, let's compare verse 1 from both passages. In 2 Samuel 24, 1, it says, And again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah. Now let's look at the first verse of Second Chronicles chapter 21. And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. Now you'll notice in Second Samuel that the Lord was angry with Israel already for some reason. It's easy to extrapolate from this passage that perhaps David and his people had become less dependent on God because of their prosperity. The prosperity that's documented in First Chronicles chapter 22, verse 18, which we'll see uh, in just a few moments. There's a bit more insight into this issue of numbering the people in Israel, and that's found in First Chronicles chapter 27, verses 23 and 24, where it says this, But David took not the number of them from twenty years old and under, because the Lord had said he would increase Israel like to the stars of the heavens. Joab the son of Zeruiah began to number, but he finished not, because there fell wrath for it against Israel. Neither was the number put in the account of the chronicles of King David. Now, view these two verses in the light of the promises that had been made, the two promises that had been made to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15, 5, we find one of those promises. This is what it says. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Now over to Genesis chapter 22, verse 17. Again, God talking to Abraham says this, That in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now there's yet another consideration with regard to this census that's found in Exodus chapter 30, verses 11 through 16. Let me read those verses to you. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When thou takest the son of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord when thou numberest them, that there be no plague among them when thou numberest them. This they shall give, every one that passeth among them that are numbered half a shekel, after the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is twenty giras, and half shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. Every one that passeth among them that are numbered from twenty years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. The rich shall not give more, and the poor shall not give less than half a shekel. When they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. And thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel, and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. Now, we aren't told why, but taking account of the tribes of Israel was something not to be taken lightly, so much so that an offering was to be required from each person who was counted. This offering accompanying the census was to prevent, it says, quote, plague among them. Well, there's no reference to such an offering accompanying David's census, and the result was a plague among them. Now, further evidence of the gravity of this situation with regard to counting the people is seen in Numbers chapter 31, verses 48 through 50. Let's read those verses. 
And the officers, which were over thousands of the host, the captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, came near unto Moses. And they said unto Moses, Thy servants have taken the sum of the men of war which are under our charge, and there lacketh not one man of us. We have therefore brought an oblation for the Lord, what every man hath gotten, of jewels, of gold, chains and bracelets, rings, earrings, and tablets, to make an atonement for our souls before the Lord. Now, here again, an offering was required of each man of war during that counting as well. While that may not give us an answer sufficient to our level of curiosity on this matter, it does give us some insight into the issue. Apparently, David's motivation and procedure here was unacceptable before God. Furthermore, after the plague is stopped at the threshing floor of Aranam, or also known as Ornan, David insists on paying the complete price for this future site of the temple. He sees it as a sacrifice. We'll see that below in 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 18 to 25, and 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 18, all the way down to chapter 22, verse 1. That would indicate that perhaps David finally understood the linkage between when you count the people, you got to take an offering. And if you don't, that brings plague. Also, for our consideration, based upon 1 Chronicles chapter 27, verses 23 and 24, in the light of God's promises to Abraham, it would appear to be possible that numbering Israel flew in the face of the Abrahamic covenant of a seed so plentiful that it couldn't be numbered. The census does yield some really huge numbers for an Israeli fighting force, over 1.5 million soldiers. That's regular army plus national guard. To support this notion, we see the following statement by Solomon in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 8, during his conversation with God after taking over the throne. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, which thou hast chosen, a great people, that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. It's expressed similarly in the same account by Ezra in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verse 9, when it says, Now, O Lord God, let thy promise unto David my father be established, for thou hast made me king over a people like the dust of the earth in multitude. It would appear from Solomon's prayer to God there that he knew the people were not to be numbered, perhaps a lesson he learned from David's census experience in this passage. Incidentally, the Chronicles of King David, found in First Chronicles chapter 27, verse 24, well, that's a reference to the log made as a record of the notable events and transactions during a king's reign. It's not a reference to the book of Chronicles. Now, here's a principle that existed from the Garden of Eden and still is God's mode of operation with his people today. As in the book of Job, God allows Satan to try his people. Incidentally, this is the first occasion in the Old Testament where the Hebrew word Satan, which is our English word, transliterated exactly the same, the Hebrew word Satan is used as a proper name, and here without the definite article. Previously, the word was used to describe an adversary, generally speaking. So here's the deal. God is angry with his people, so he allows Satan to tempt David into numbering his big old fighting force. One more verse perhaps needs a conjecture here. Verse 6 says, But Levi and Benjamin counted he not among them, for the king's word was abominable to Joab. 
You'll recall that previously, whenever the people were numbered, it was always for the purpose of determining the size of the fighting force. The Levites were never counted in that number. They didn't fight, according to Numbers chapter 1, verses 49 and 50. However, Levites are listed in the composition of David's army in 1 Chronicles chapter 12. The tabernacle itself was located in Jerusalem at this point in time, so there would have been a bigger concentration of Levites there. Jerusalem, by the way, was located in Benjamin's territory, right on the line between Benjamin and and Judah, but in Benjamin's territory. Joab reluctantly took David's census in the first place. This must be where Joab drew the line on the effort. So, though living in peace and prosperity, David is tempted by Satan to mark upon a nine-month task of assessing the strength of his fighting force. Perhaps this particular temptation was placed before the people of Israel because they were starting to feel self-sufficient and perhaps proud of their personal accomplishments. So, David, let's ask you this question. What's the secret of your military expertise? God on your side leading the way? Well, David might have replied, Nah, I think it's because I have a really big army. As a matter of fact, I wonder how big my National Guard really is. David must have wondered. Even though Joab warns David that it's a really bad idea, what the king wants, the king gets. Just as we thought, David does have a really big National Guard. God isn't pleased, though, that David succumbed to the temptation of Satan. Now, by the way, I provided a chart that uh, reconciles the uh, little difference in numbers uh, between the Chronicles and the Samuel account, and it's in the little yellow box to the right side of the page in today's written notes for BibleTrack.org. Well, then, God, through the prophet Gad, gives David a choice of three punishments for this transgression, none of them pleasant. The first being seven years of famine for Israel. Well, no, that's not good. Or three months' flight from David's enemies. Well, been there, done that. Or third choice, three days of an angel-induced pestilence. Well, how much damage can that do? So behind door number three is a plague. But it's only for three days. And it's from God rather than from David's enemies. That was door number two. So the pestilence cost David in three days 70,000 men, but falls short of the destruction of Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, the angel in charge of pestilence stops at the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, also spelled Aranah in Second Samuel. And uh, that's as David pleads for mercy. This threshing floor becomes very important in Jewish history as it becomes the very site of the temple that will be built there. Now, to put this incident into perspective, I'm reminded of James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Here's what that says. That every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It started, this census, it started with temptation, but it ended with sin. Now, in the next section of Scripture we'll be looking at, 2 Samuel chapter 24, verses 18 to 25, and 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verses 18, down through chapter 22, verse 1, we're going to see the site of the temple being chosen.
Second Samuel twenty four eighteen. And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up, rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Aranah the Jebusite. And David, according to the saying of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. And Aranah looked and saw the king and his servants coming on toward him. And Aranah went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Aranah said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Aranah said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice, and threshing instruments, and other instruments of the oxen for wood. And these things did Aranah as a king given to the king. And Aranah said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Aranah, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price, neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for fifty shekels of silver. And David built there an altar unto the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land, and the plague was stayed from Israel. Now, as we go over to First Chronicles chapter 21, beginning with verse 18, we see that this account is a little bit longer. Then the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go up and set up an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And David went up at the saying of Gad, which he spake in the name of the Lord. And Ornan turned back and saw the angel and his four sons with him hid themselves. Now Ornan was threshing wheat. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and saw David and went out of the threshing floor and bowed himself to David with his face to the ground. Then David said to Ornan, Grant me the place of this threshing floor that I may build an altar therein. Thou shalt grant it to me for a full price, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And Ornan said unto David, Take it to thee, and let my lord the king do that which is good in his eyes. Lo, I give thee the oxen also for burnt offerings, and the threshing instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering, I give it all. And King David said unto Ornan, Nay, but I will verily buy it for the full price, for I will not take that which is thine for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings without cost. So David gave to Ornan for the place six hundred shekels of gold by weight. And David built there an altar unto the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and called upon the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by fire upon the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord commanded the angel, and he put up his sword again unto the sheath thereof. At that time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, then he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord, which Moses made in the wilderness, and the altar of the burnt offering, were at that season in the high place at Gibeon. But David could not go before it to inquire of God, for he was afraid because of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Now chapter 22, verse 1, Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. Well, in this passage, the prophet Gad told David that he should go erect an altar to God there where the pestilence ceased. 
there on the threshing floor. That's a big outdoor spot, open spot. And that belonged to Ornan, also known as Aranah. He's the Jebusite, and he offers to donate the property, but David insists that he'll pay for the site for this altar. After all, the welfare of all of Israel is at stake here. No mistake or shortcomings can be allowed. So how much does David have to pay for this property? Well, we're told here it's 50 shekels of silver in Second Samuel, or 600 shekels of gold in First Chronicles. Well, the First Chronicles text explicitly says that David bought the site, which included the whole area of Mount Moriah. Samuel's account includes only the price for the oxen and the threshing floor. So both accounts are correct. A word of explanation is in order regarding the temple located there in Gibeon. Prior to Gibeon, it had been located, if you recall, back in Nob. That was in First Samuel chapter 22. It was perhaps Saul that had the tabernacle moved to Gibeon after he massacred the priest there at Nob. While we see in First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 29, that sacrifices were still being made at the tabernacle located in Gibeon, David had moved the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem to another tabernacle. He did that, if you recall, back in Second Samuel chapter 6, also recorded in First Chronicles chapter 13. So the tabernacle in Jerusalem contained the Ark of the Covenant at this point in time, while the priests were making sacrifices at the tabernacle that was located back in Gibeon. Now in First Chronicles chapter 22, verses 2 through 19, Solomon inherits a really big project. Verse 2, And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel, and he set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails for the doors of the gates and for the joinings, and brass in abundance without weight, also cedar trees in abundance for the Sidonians, and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be built for the Lord must be exceeding magnificent, of fame and of glory throughout all the countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. Then he called for Solomon, his son, and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build a house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon, and I will give peace and quietness in Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God, as he hath said of thee. Only the Lord give thee wisdom and understanding, and give thee charge concerning Israel, that thou mayest keep the law of the Lord thy God. Then shalt thou prosper, if thou takest heed to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses with concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage, dread not, nor be dismayed. Now behold, in my trouble I have prepared for the house of the Lord an hundred thousand talents of gold, 
and a thousand thousand talents of silver, and of brass and iron without weight. For it is in abundance, timber also, and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto. Moreover, there are workmen with thee in abundance, hewers and workers of stone and timber, and all manner of cunning men for every manner of work. Of the gold, the silver, and the brass, and the iron, there is no number. Arise, therefore, and be doing, and the Lord be with thee. David also commanded all the princes of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you? And hath he not given you rest on every side? For he hath given the inhabitants of the land into mine hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Arise, therefore, and build ye the sanctuary of the Lord God, to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy vessel of God into the house that is to be built to the name of the Lord." Well, David explains to Solomon in this passage that he'll have to build the temple because God told David he couldn't do it. Too much blood on his hands. One such occasion of excessive bloodshed uh, on David's hands could be Second Samuel chapter 8, verses 1-18. through 18. That's when he executed some Moabite prisoners of war after their defeat. However, that doesn't prevent Dad from setting Solomon up for success in the project right here, though. He gets all the people behind his boy and donates a massive amount of resources to the building of the temple. Now, by today's exchange rates, David allocated some $36 billion. Yeah, I said billion. In gold and another $4.2 billion or so in silver, along with lots of other building materials. Even with the typical cost overrun that you commonly see in building things, you can build a really nice temple for that amount of money. By the way, as David recounts his word of the Lord in verses 8 through 10, he includes the provisions of the covenant known as the Davidic covenant. He says in verse 10, I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, if you'd like to have additional information on this issue of the Davidic covenant, then look at my notes on the under the topic section of BibleTrack.org. Uh, an article there is entitled The Davidic Covenant. It's important to note in this passage that David calls the leadership of Israel together to formally announce Solomon as his successor in verse 17 and to charge them to assist Solomon in the temple-building project. However, later on, Adonijah, Solomon's half-brother, unsuccessfully attempts to hijack the throne before David even gasped for his last breath. That takes place over in 1 Kings chapter 1, verses 5-10. through 10. Now, there's an aspect here that's not evident, except in the Hebrew language. David had been denied the opportunity to build the temple because of the blood on his hands, so he turns the project over to his son Solomon. It just so happens that Solomon's name is based on the familiar Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom. As a matter of fact, Solomon's name begins with the exact same three Hebrew letters that spell shalom with an additional Hebrew letter, hey, added to the end, that turns it into a name. It appears that David named his boy with the intention that he would fulfill the role of being the peaceful agent to whom would be given the privilege by God to build his temple. Now let's read Psalm 30. God is my strength. 
The subtitle to this one says, A Psalm and Song at the Dedication of the House of David. Verse 1, I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made my supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me, Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent, O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. Now the title to this psalm says, A Psalm and Song at the Dedication of the House of David. Well, Israel certainly has a lot to be thankful for. There's no question about that. This psalm summarizes it very nicely. While not specifically stated, the personal nature of the comments in this psalm strongly suggests that David was the author. We don't know that for sure, though. This psalm can be summarized as follows. David acknowledges God's deliverance and calls upon the congregation to join in praise in verses 1 through 5. And then David recalls his past sin in verses 6 through 10. And then finally, David renews his praise to God in verses 11 and 12. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walton.